All right. Y'all, we're about to get the Q&A session started. If you're uh, in the bathroom, in the hallways, or foyer, go ahead and make your way in. We're going to get started here in just a second. I'll give you just a, a, a 30 seconds to make your way in. everything kicked off and so I'll let you know I guess kind of what's going to happen in this session this is actually the one I'm most excited about uh, so we were talking uh, just kind of preparing for the weekend and thought it would be really cool to take a few of the most common questions misconceptions concerns uh, about Christianity and our belief system uh, and just kind of openly ask these guys on this panel, we're going to discuss it, and so you can kind of think about these things, these issues in different ways, okay? So hopefully when you walk out of here, you'll kind of be able to understand some of these questions and issues in a deeper way, and, uh, and I do want to kind of even start, I guess, this session by saying, who in here, you've had like questions about your faith before? Everyone, okay? And so there, there are a lot of smart people out there that do have answers to a lot of those questions, but there are some things that, hey, we're not going to completely understand until we come face to face with God. And it's like, we might not have all the right answers, but we serve a God who does. And, uh, and so this morning, I hope that this will encourage you, strengthen your faith a little bit uh, as you walk away from the weekend. And so I'm really excited about this. Uh, so what I want to do, I'm going to uh, just ask, I guess, our first question. I'm actually going to start with you, David. Heads up. So uh, I'm going to start with you, David. And so our first question is going to be dealing uh, just with uh, biblical in inerrancy, okay? And so as a Christian, we believe that the Bible is the truth and the Word of God, right? And so um, there's an attack today against uh, scriptural inerrancy. A lot of people are, are saying that they're finding uh, errors and issues within uh, Scripture. And so how today as a Christian can we still hold on to uh, this belief that the Bible is true and it's the Word of God? And so I want, well, I want you to respond to that. First off, just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. You, like I said, question what we're saying. Go and research it for yourself, because what has to matter is the evidence. You know, but, but people, and I threw a little PowerPoint up here, and I don't know if you guys uh, can, can chunk it up there, but my question is, what error and, and what contradiction? People say, there's errors in the Bible, there's so many errors, there's so many contradictions in the Bible, and my first question is, them, show me one. You know, it, it, well, there's so many, well, there's so many, well, there's so many, it should be easy just to flop it open and see one. And there are apparent contradictions. I, I won't say that there aren't those, but you can easily read those and say, okay, if you look at, when you dig and go beyond face value, it's actually very easy to see. There, you know, there's so many different things. You know, in one of the gospels, it says uh, Jesus walked up on, on one blind man, and then it says that Jesus walked up, there were two blind men there. You know, but it's just two different perspectives of telling the same story. They actually don't contradict each other when you read it there. But I haven't even found people that will point those out. 
I see more Christians that know the contradictions than non-Christians. And so that, that's the first thing. But you also have to know that the Bible's a very unique book. Did you know it was written over a 1,500-year span, 40 generations, 40 authors, different places that it was written from? You have different cultures, fishermen, all this kind of stuff, three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, and, and Greek. And then you have three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. But think about this. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one unity of theme. It's all about the redemption of man. That's what it is. You have the fall of man in the first three chapters. <laughs> then it spends the rest of the word. God is trying to show his people how he is redeeming them. Now, let me challenge you this. Why don't you get... 40 different people to come together over a 1,500-year span and write a book together, right? Or it, it's 66 different books, I get that. But put those 66 different books, go to the library, and do, do it over just the last 100 years and come up with it. You will never find another book as unique as the Bible. Does that make it true? No, it doesn't. But it means it's the, one of the most unique books out there. I will say, when you look at the Bible, how do you know it's reliable? There's two questions that you have to ask. Number one, what is the timeline? When you, what is the timeline? Because, you know, the Bible was not written, it was written, it was handwritten. Y'all know that. It was manuscript form. That's what they had back then. It was handwritten. So all we have are handwritten copies. You know, you can't just go on Audible and download the Bible from back in the day. But, you know, when you look at all the other different books, Pliny the Younger, Senior, uh, Caesar, Plato, you look at uh, all the different Aristotle, Sophocles, everybody looks at these guys and says, they're the stuff. They're awesome. They are studs. They are awesome. And what you do is you look at the timeline from the original to the copy we have now, and it was 1,400 years from Sophocles, 1,400 years. And all these guys, we say they're studs. Even though from the original to the only copy we have now, there was all this time in between that. But the Bible, did you know the New Testament, from the original when it was written to the, the earliest copy that we still have today was only 50 years. The, the copies that we have today, back to the original, is only 50 years. When you look at all these other guys who we say, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, those guys, what they wrote down is true. But yet we look at the New Testament that's more reliable, and we say it's less reliable than those guys. Does that make sense? And then the second really quick question is, is you look at the number of manuscripts. How many copies of the New Testament do we have, or the Bible do, do we have? How many copies do we have? When you, when you look at all the different things, Caesar, we only have 10 copies of Caesar. And what he wrote down. Tacitus 20, Pliny the Younger, look at all these. We only have eight copies of these guys still together. Now, Sophocles, we have 193. But you look at all of these, and we have all of these, and no one questions those guys. Do you know how many copies? Anybody know how many copies of the New Testament that there are today? How many copies? Not the original, but how many copies do there are? Anybody want to take a guess? It's like you. Wow, she gets something. <laughs> It's like 25,000. That's what it's like. It's sure like that, you know. Now, when you can combine, why does it matter how many copies you have? Because you can see, did people change it from this copy to that copy? Does that make sense? And so the reason it matters, how long was it from when the guys actually wrote it to the copy we have today? And then how many copies do we have today? Well, the more copies you have, guys, the more you can test whether these guys changed it or whether it was the same. In fact, what you find is there was only half a percent of an error with the Bible. That's crazy. Half a percent of an error. You know what the number two manuscript was? It was Homer's Iliad. That, that's the number two in the world that we have of the most copies. How many copies do we, you think we have of Homer's Iliad? It's not like 25,000. 
It's actually only 643. So New Testament number one is 25,000 copies that we have today that we can look at. That is only 50 years, right? And we have 643. And, that, and no one questions the Iliad, do they? Does anyone question this book in college? No. They say it's awesome. It's original. No one's changed it. But yet the Bible, what's more accurate, more reliable, it's lies. If you throw out the Bible, guys, you have to throw out all ancient literature. You have to throw out all ancient literature. And no one in college is willing to do that. And so when you look at the evidence, and once again, that was a two-second version. I mean, that, that you, there, there is so much out there. The problem today is we don't research. The problem today is we don't like to study. We like to post. We like to look at what other people have posted. We don't want to put any time into looking. There's a lot of books I could get uh, with you after. There's a lot of books that you can look at, put in your hand, and look up all these different things. There's so much evidence out there, we just don't know it because we don't look. Yeah, one thing that I was thinking about, uh, and I actually talked to uh, David about this a little earlier, we went to Israel at the beginning of the year in uh, January, and we went to a place called Qumran, Qumran, something like that, I'll pretend like I'm saying it right, uh, and it's actually in a part of the Judean desert, it's right by the Dead Sea, we got to go, and we were standing here, there's huge cliffs and caves all in, and I didn't even understand the significance of this place until they started explaining it to us, and this guy pointed at one cave that was just like far off, you could see the hole like up in a cliff, and he said, this is the very cave that a little shepherd boy went in and found the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay, and so I want to kind of explain what this is happening. Uh, This shepherd boy found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, okay, and so what this enabled us to do is uh, take all of the manuscripts that we have today, biblical manuscripts, and look back at the originals, not necessarily the originals, but manuscripts that dated way back before our biblical text today and compare and see the accuracy between our manuscripts. Okay, and so they found that they were accurate. They were still accurate in translation over 2,000 years after it's passed. And so it's awesome to see how God has preserved his word. Think about the telephone game when you're in elementary school and you whisper like one line to like one of your friends and it's completely different by the, just the end of the room. And we're doing this with tons and tons of books, scriptures, texts, truths, and it's all preserved because God has been keeping his hand on it for years. Thousands of years the telephone game worked. Think about that. That's insane. That's so crazy. And so, uh, one, I mean, you have to know that, that the word of God, it's, it's, it's true, and it's something that we have to stand firm uh, on our, in our faith yeah, to live Cole, the life. What that, was that one thing that you were saying to me earlier about that, that they were saying, you were talking about how there is, that they've disproven a lot of the things in the Bible, and you were like, but I went there. You know, what, what were you talking about that? Uh, I thought we, that was good. We, uh, okay, so I was reading just a bunch of articles and stuff, and, and uh, in archaeology and in different areas, they, I've seen several articles that make comments that say that there, there's no archaeology uh, to prove these things of the Bible, that the city of, the ancient city of David doesn't exist, that uh, this ransacking of Joshua in the, in the books and in the Old Testament, all this stuff doesn't exist. And I was reading these articles and I was like, no, it does because I walked through the old city of David. Like I was there. I saw all the stuff. They're like, nothing, nothing dates back to King Solomon's heir and building the temple. It's like, no, it's still there. I saw it. Like I was there. Like you're lying. And so I'm telling you, don't believe everything that you hear. Uh, it's, We've, we've got to hold on to the truth, and just because one of your science teachers 
posts an article or whatever doesn't mean it's true. Some of that stuff is false, and they're just trying to turn you away from your faith. And, uh, and I, I think it's just like a spirit of antichrist or something in our culture today. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to move on. But I definitely want you to understand that, man, God's word is still true today. And, I um, mean, there are tons of ways that we can stand firm in that and, and not just blindly believe, okay? Uh, and so the next question, Zach, you ready? Um, so a lot of us, man, we have questions over different uh, world religions. Uh, maybe, you know, when it, it comes to um, Islam and, and just whatever, and, and we're kind of confused at the differences between Christianity, Islam, and, and Buddhism, and, and all of these things, and a lot of people have misconceptions that uh, our faiths are very similar, and that maybe we could believe in the same God, or how, how is Christianity true over another religion? Have you ever kind of wondered this? And, and so um, today, I, I want to kind of talk about that. Zach, how, how can we know that Christianity is true over these other worldviews, over these other religions in, uh, in the world today? Yeah, so I have a, a couple things written down. The, uh, the first question, this is kind of two parts, but the first question uh, is, aren't all religions basically the same? And this is kind of what Cole was alluding to, and uh, the short answer is no, <laughs> they are not the same. Um, the long answer is there are values in uh, most of the major religions that are similar at best some values. Um, and so, and, and some of these values are uh, be fair to others, do not murder, nurture children, don't steal, obey your parents, uh, you know, don't lie, love each other. Like, these are all like good, you know, moral values or whatever. And these are uh, subjects in most uh, world religions. So when people say that, well, aren't all, you know, religions the same? Maybe these values are similar in some way, but at the end of the day, they're vastly different. Um, but the thing that uh, I guess is kind of confusing for us today is we can we can look at these things, and a lot of people believe that there are many ways to God, and that's kind of what this is alluding to. And and this whole uh, even this thought process is called pluralism, which is where there's a God out there, but there's millions of ways to get to God. You know, one, the Buddhist believes one specific way to get to God. The, the Hindu believes one specific way. Judaism believes a specific way. Christianity, another. And the thing is, um, people believe that there's some supernatural being out there, and there's all these ways to get to it. But all of these ways contradict each other. Okay, all of these ways, uh, see, getting to, uh, getting to God and having a relationship with God or, or being in heaven, they all see them completely different. And what's kind of confusing is whenever you go down and you actually explain what truth is. Okay, so if I start there, it'll make the rest of this make a little more sense. But I want you to think about this, and this is kind of a confusing statement, but we have to believe that there is such thing as absolute truth. Okay, and, and David hit on this earlier, but the for me, the easiest way to think about it, and I'm just going to read it so I don't get it mixed up, it says, if truth is relative, then the statement that truth is relative is an absolute truth and would be self-defeating just in one sentence. So I want you to think about that. It's kind of confusing to think about, but there has to be absolute truth. Truth is not relative to you and what you think truth is and what Cole thinks truth is. But if truth is relative, then that is an absolute truth, which negates the fact that truth is relative. 
Okay, And so whenever we continue, all of these religions speak different teachings. They believe different ways to God. And if they contradict one another and truth is not relative, then that means one has to be true. And that means the other ones cannot be true. Okay, And so to, to dive a little deeper here, the four main points that I saw just as I was kind of reading and studying is... There are four main differences uh, uh, between the, the major religions, and I'm going to hit on Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, Christianity, and Judaism, okay? So the four main differences is how many gods there are, how many ways there are to God, what is sin, and who is Jesus. And they all differ. There, there's drastic differences between these four um, uh, different religions. And just to go through these really fast, uh, Buddhism thinks that there is no God. Hinduism thinks there's many gods. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all are monotheistic religions, which means they believe in one God. But they all think that one God is different. Okay, so um, the thing that separates Christianity from the other two monotheistic re, uh, religions is that um, it's the only one who recognizes the bondage and reality of sin, okay, in the world. That's the only religion that does of the monotheistic religions. Um, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism all reference Jesus. I want you to think about this, but they all do it in vastly different ways. Okay, so Judaism believes that Jesus was some sort of teacher, but he was the greatest false messiah who's ever lived. That's what Judaism believes about Jesus. Um, Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened person, that he was wise, and that, um, you know, he had lived several lives and all this. He had been in re reincarnate uh, at that point in his, in, his, in his life. And then Islam thinks that Jesus was just a messenger of God, and Christianity believes Jesus is the only way to God. So if we go back to our first argument, if truth is not relative but is absolute, then that means that it negates one of these because it's different every time. One has to be true and three have to be wrong. Okay, um, so uh, let's see. So that kind of answers the first part of this question, and I'll, and I'll kind of speed through the second part. So, so one, no, these religions are not the same. At best, there's a few values that are positive, you know, things. Don't kill someone. That's a pretty easy value that kind of transcends. Yeah, it's a good value. Uh, it kind of transcends all these different religions. So that is similar, but the other four main differences are completely different. Again, it's how many gods there are, how many ways to God, what is sin, and who was Jesus. So those are the, those are the four main differences. And then the second part of this question is how do we know that Christianity is right over other world religions? And uh, David really hit on this a lot just even in his, uh, his last question talking about the validity of the Bible. But one thing that's like really cool to me is that... Uh, <laughs> The, the fulfillment of biblical uh, prophecy is undeniable. Okay, whenever you actually go back and you think about um, all the prophecies that were written in the Old Testament and everything that was fulfilled in Jesus, it is unquestionable. Okay, so there, there was actually a guy who uh, went through and he calculated this out in, in odds or the percentage of this of someone coming, living, fulfilling all of these prophecies, what, what is the percent chance? 
that this would happen. Um, and before I share that number, how many people uh, could guess what your percent chance of getting struck by lightning is? One in 700,000 chance, okay? So don't walk outside 700,000 times because one of those, you may or may not get struck by lightning. But uh, that just kind of is going to give us a frame of reference. So being struck by lightning, you have a 1 in 700,000 chance, okay? For someone to fulfill every single prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, there is a 1 in 10 to the 28th power chance that someone would fulfill all those in the same person. That's, that's 28 zeros. 20, yeah, that is a lot. 28 zeros. So the, the fact that the, the Bible um, fulfills prophecy, uh, that's uh, scientific and historical accuracy of the Bible, and that's one thing that's really cool about the Bible is it's not only you know something that we read for our religion, but, man, people go back through history, and it, it, it shares history. You know, what year is it? It's 2018. Why? Because Jesus died 2018 years ago. You know what I mean? Like everything is based off uh, of the life of Jesus. Um, the confirmation of the Bible uh, through na uh, narrative by archaeology. And this is something that Cole was just alluding to just a second ago as well. And then lastly, uh, the resurrection. So this is, this is uh, a main difference. And this is also something that brings validity to the faith of Christianity is that uh, Jesus is the only uh, God or prophet or whatever that rose again. Like Muhammad is still in the grave. You know what I mean? Jesus is not in the grave anymore. And there's not people that speak out against, like, uh, the, 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 I guess that being false or, or, or some rigged up system. And they took Jesus and hid him somewhere else. Like, people don't deny that. <laughs> you can go back, and Cole might allude to this here in a second. But uh, whenever he went to Israel, there were... There were tons of people that talked about um, how many hundreds of people that saw Jesus after uh, his resurrection. So it wasn't just like the 12. It wasn't just a few people that were close friends. It was hundreds of people. And One was over Bible, 500. And, and, and what's cool about that is even in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, it talks about, it talks about hey, um, some of these people are still alive. That, that Jesus actually revealed himself to. Go ask them. You know what I mean? He, he, he rose again. Um, so to make a, a really long uh, answer as short as I could, um, aren't all religions basically the same? <laughs> Quick answer is no. There, there's, some, there's some truths that are similar. That's about it. Um, and then the second question, how do we know that Christianity is right over other world religions? The grave, you know, Jesus is not in the grave anymore. And um, also just the biblical prophecy and everything that was fulfilled over and over and over again. It's, it's a miracle that that stuff was fulfilled. And so we could continue to talk and talk about many different things. But I think those are a couple things that maybe would stir your mind a little bit. So, Check, I'm on. Hey, and just even to say to that, even a more practical side, all of the, basically, the, the disciples, the early apostles, they died for Christianity. You know what I mean? So you have Peter who's scared. You have all this stuff that's happening during the crucifixion. When they, once they see Jesus, they all are willing to give their life. Not just willing, but they give their life. You know what I mean? So 
we're, we're looking 2,000 years back and we're reading stories. These people so believed in their, their, uh, the resurrection of Christ that they said, you know, we're going to die for this. When just a few weeks earlier, they wouldn't have done it. So something even practically had to happen that I went from I'm going to deny that I even knew the guy that cut my head off like I believe everything. So not many people would be willing to do that. Well, I love what Eusebius said. That he was a historian. Is this is not a guy from the Bible? This was just a historian. He was talking about when Peter Peter requested to be crucified upside down, and it said they crucified Peter's wife right before him. And when they walked Peter's wife, this is the historical record. He 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 said, "Remember the Lord to his wife." What are we remembering? Not just his memory. That dude resurrected. He came out of the grave and ascended. I mean. What do we care about what these people did to us? So, I mean, that, that was powerful to me, to march your wife, you know, right in front of you. They obviously saw the resurrection, or they would not have done They would have said, nobody lies. Nobody dies for a lie if they know that it's a lie, you know, and so that's powerful. Yeah. Is that good or what? Are y'all learning something? Yeah? You enjoying it? Well, and there's even several comments I think I could make on that. We're going to move on. Um, Okay, so my next question is for Travis. I have about 42 sheets up here, so I'm looking for it. Okay, Uh, my next question is for you, Travis. Uh, One of the biggest concerns or issues, you know, we see in the world today, there's so much evil, suffering, you know, even alluding to the Orlando massacre and shooting, stuff like this. Man, a lot of people have a hard time uh, making sense of a a good God allowing such evil, you know, to happen, shootings, all these uh, terrible things that go on. How how can we still believe and have faith in God even though uh, evil things happen in our world? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Pass. (laughs) Just kidding. No, uh, you know, every single person in here, I know most of you, I know we love God, I know we care about God, we love Jesus, we've been to Sunday school, but every single one of us, if we've been honest with ourselves, we've had moments where we've just even looked within and questioned our faith and said, you know what, I believe God, God's good, God does great things, God saves us, but I still see bad stuff around me, I still see evil, I still see you know, murder. I hear about school shootings. You know, I, I see people that are dying, uh, not being able to have fresh water, dying of bad stuff. There's rape that's going on. There's wars ever since we've been alive. So how does this kind of, how does this live within our own self? God is good and he's real, but how does he allow bad stuff to happen? And listen, we could take all day and we wouldn't even brush the subject of this in its entirety, but I just want to take a couple minutes and, and hit a few key facts. I think I want to break this question into three things. Number one, because this is a foundation that you have to have. You have to realize that even though there's bad stuff going on, the first question that you have to ask is, is there really a God? Because there's going to be a lot of people that say, because there's evil, because there's death, because there's murder, because people right now are dying because they don't get any food. There's babies being aborted right now. How in the world is there even a God with all this evil? And so, you know, first of all, I would say that evil proves first and foremost, that there is a God. And, you know, if, if you don't listen to a Ravi Zachariah type, I would encourage you to do it. But the argument that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years would be evil actually proves that there's good. Like, we can see the evil around us, but we could also say, man, there's good stuff around us too. Would we agree? So there's evil. Evil proves that there's good. So if there's good and evil, we would say that there is what? A moral law. Just as David was alluding to earlier, some people say killing somebody in the name of ISIS, man, that's good. Most rational people, I would say 99.999, would say murder is wrong. 
So we would say that, that that is wrong. So there's good and there's evil, and there's a differential between the two. That's what we're talking about, absolute and uh, absolute truth versus kind of just whatever you think. Um, what's the word? Relative truth. That's the difference because what's relative to me might be different to you. That's what relative is. So here's the deal. So if there's, if there's a moral law, which we would agree there is, someone had to give that law. Someone had to say, no, that's wrong, that's right. So first and foremost, who could do that, right? All of us in here, we've committed sin. We've committed evil inside of our own hearts. We've done bad things. So there has to be somebody outside of time that said, this is the law that I'm setting into place. And so that would prove that there's a God. Just my evil in the world proves that there's a God. So I want us to understand that. When people, your friends, are talking about there is no God because there's evil, no, evil actually proves that there is a God. The second question that you get into is this, and I think this is a better question, not is there a God, I think we're going to get into that here in a few minutes, like people who don't believe in God, there is definitely a God, but the question is, is this God good? Because with all the suffering, all the bad stuff, all the pain, how can we in our minds come to a consensus that God is good? Because there's a lot of Christians that have lost their faith, they believe that there's a God, but they don't believe that God is good because there's all this bad stuff going on in the world today. For us to have the worldview that God is good, number one, you just have to read the Bible. Is God good? Yes. He's not good just because the Bible says he's good. He's good because of a lot of things. Number one, he created the world. He's the creator. He created everything perfect. You know, God never, God did not create sin. You have to understand this. God didn't create sin. God created free choice. Every person has free will. He created Adam and Eve. Remember, place them in the garden. You can do whatever you want to do. Eat this stuff. Eat this stuff. Don't eat this one piece of fruit, right? All of us would have done the same thing. Who knows how long they were there, but they were like, man, that looks good. All these other hundred fruits, I mean, we've had those. We've tasted them. We're going to try this, and we know what happens. Sin came in. All sin is is us choosing not God. That's what it is. When we choose God, we choose good. When we choose sin, evil abounds. That's what the Bible talks about. So when sin came in, basically there was a fall. We know Genesis chapter 3, there's a fall. And ever since that fall, this world has been conducive to a fallen nature. Things die. People pass away. We got a good friend who his mom's on the brink of death right now because we live in a fallen world. So here's the deal. God gave us free choice. Free choice. You can choose to sin. You can choose to do good. You can choose to follow God. When you don't choose to follow God, you choose to follow evil. Okay? So basically, is God good? I would say two reasons. There's several reasons, but I would say two specifically that you can take home today why God is good. Number one, in this fallen world, things are bad. Things are terrible. All this trash is going on. God created it good. And so what does God do? Does he step back and say, I'm done with everything? No. God says, I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send my son. In essence, I'm going to come down to myself, to my creation that I created perfectly, who messed up, and I'm going to put him here. He's going to live a perfect life. The Bible says that he's without sin. I want you to think about that. Y'all sin. Every one of us probably sinned this morning, you know, multiple times. Cole's probably like, you know, like sinning last night, thinking about your yes. kids, keeping him up, you know. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> You know, so we've all sinned, but he sent Jesus. Jesus committed no sin and he died. So why is God good? Because God, number one, never created sin, but he sent Jesus to die for sin. So the person who created none of it said, I'm going to take it on. And the second way we can say that God is good is because salvation. Even though we've all sinned, God says, if you'll repent, I will save you. Even though what you deserve is hell, separation from God, because sin brings forth death, I will give you eternal life. 
that means that God is good. And that's not just for a few people. God offers it to everybody, whosoever. You know, it's his will that none shall perish. So we have this fact. There is a God. God is good. And I think this is kind of where we've led up in this question. So God is good. God is real. Why does God allow stuff to happen? Okay, I think that's where we're at. And number one, I would say, sometimes God does intervene. God intervenes. Uh, ultimately, when everything is gone, the Bible says that there will be no more pain and suffering. But the big question is, why does, not, why does God not intervene more? Why doesn't he stop the bullet? Why doesn't he stop the kids from dying? Why doesn't he stop this from happening? And I think it comes back to, again, what I just said, free choice. We have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom to choose right. We have the freedom to choose wrong. And God, he allows it to happen because that's what he gave us. If every time someone sinned and God changed the outcome of the consequence, because listen, David said it earlier, we have the choice to do whatever. We do not have the choice to determine the consequence of what we did. There's consequence. You can do whatever you want to do. You can go have sex outside of marriage, but you can't control the consequence, what it's going to do emotionally, what it can do physically, right? You can't control that. You can do the action. So here's the deal. Free will. If God stopped it every time, if he stopped the bullet every single time, every single sin, if he stopped the repercussion of that, in essence, it wouldn't be free will. It would be God basically just pulling the strings, and God didn't create a robot. So kind of the last thing that you would have to ask, why does God give us free will? That's really the question that we're asking. Why does God give us free will? Because only through free will can you really receive the love of God. Because God did not create robots, right? You don't have to love God. But when you choose God and you receive God, it's the greatest expression of love that there is. And that can only come through free choice and free will. Because of free choice and free will, there's going to be bad stuff. God hates it. It hurts him. He despises it. But because he loves us, he wants us to have freedom, freedom ultimately to be loved by him. He allows it to happen. And just kind of the hope is, listen, one day it's all going to be gone. I don't understand everything at all. But listen, I know that in this world there's going to be pain. There's hardships. That's why as Christians we offer hope, we offer love, and we point people to Christ. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Amen. <laughs> that was solid. I don't have anything to add. Yeah, I know. I know. He, he got me. I had a couple of things I was thinking, and then he talked about them too. So. I, I saw was, David's notes. <laughs> memorized. <laughs> well, uh, hey, uh, I've got uh, just a couple more questions, and, and we're going to try to get through this uh, quick. But I hope this is encouraging you, it's challenging you to think a little bit. I know sometimes when you're like walking through school or class and somebody asks you a hard question and right then it's kind of hard to reason through all of this. Hopefully this will give you like a little bit of background on some of these issues. Uh, one of the other uh, biggest areas I think that causes Christians to doubt, to walk away, to ask big questions about their faith is through science. Uh, who, who has been in a science class taught uh, on evolution and, and just a, a bunch of things that, that really kind of challenge our faith? Uh, and so I went to a college, got a, a bachelor's degree in biology, and so I sat through four years of nothing but evolution and all kinds of stuff. Well, I actually worked part-time on staff here at the church, uh, and it was, it was a little challenging to do that every day, and, and then it was kind of challenging my faith. Uh, but, and so I, I guess the question I kind of want to ask myself for uh, just a second um, is, does science contradict the, the Bible or disprove God? And, uh, and so this is what I want to talk about. Uh, one, I want to say that I'm very thankful for science. 
like the good things that it's brought, like think about modern medicine and all of this stuff like that, that we have today. Like I'm thankful that they still don't believe that like bleeding someone out is like modern medicine, you know what I mean? Like just crazy stuff. Like I'm thankful for discoveries. Like I'm thankful for the things that science uh, has, uh, has brought into uh, just our, I guess, our understanding, our knowledge. Uh, and so that is what science is, is uh, kind of seeking and, and deepening our knowledge and how things work. Okay, and so this is what I, I kind of want to start out with an example. Have any of you ever seen like a section of computer code that's just like crazy gibberish and it looked like a monkey had a keyboard and just like went to town, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so think about this. Uh, if, uh, say, there was a computer tech guy here that understood all of the coding for the Microsoft Office products. Okay, probably none of us in here would do that, but say there was a guy who could sit down, he could, he could explain to you the coding, everything of what it meant, all of this stuff. It's a crazy, intricate design. They understood the whole ins and outs of everything. Do you think that that would disprove the fact that Bill Gates exists and created it, or do you think it would prove that someone had to create it with purpose? Does this make sense? And so just because science is seeking to prove or understand things in a greater way, to me, does not disprove uh, the existence of God. To me, it proves the existence of God because things were designed so intricately. Think about your body and, and um, in modern medicine, even with all of the things that we do understand, there are tons of things that we don't. Uh, why, why don't we have a cure for cancer? Why don't we have a cure for tons of diseases and issues because we don't fully understand? And, and so we're, we're trying our best. And so the first thing I want you to know is that science will sell the lie that we understand a lot of things completely or one day we might get to where we understand everything completely, and it's a pipe dream. It's a lie. We, we don't, okay? And so science uh, doesn't prove uh, everything, okay? And so uh, with that, I, I kind of want to say a couple of things before I get into uh, a couple other parts, but... I want to tell you, you know, everything, David hit on this earlier, everything in this room was created with purpose. You know, when he talked about the chair you're sitting on, the shoes, the carpet, the, the ceiling tile, and, and I'm telling you that you weren't made by accident, but you were created with a specific purpose by a creator that has a destiny and, and a purpose for your life. Like, that's, that's awesome, okay? And so science is trying to strip that away from humanity, where we're all just here by accident. And you can go into a, a lot of things of how the chances, the percentages of all of this stuff coming about by chance. Uh, I've heard the example before. If you took a watch apart and you put it in a shoebox and you threw it against the wall a billion times, would you ever open it up and pull the watch back out? I'm like, oh, this is, this is beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you're just going to keep opening it up and there's just going to be parts everywhere. And so this is the kind of thing that they're selling to us as, as evolution and all that. Uh, but there are three things that I want to talk about real quick, and uh, I'll just describe to you uh, just a little bit of what I understand and try not to be too nerdy, okay? So uh, <laughs> bear with me, okay? I know it's science. I need some glasses. Push them up on my nose. Uh, okay, so the first area I want you to understand uh, and is uh, metaphysics, okay? Uh, metaphysics is kind of... Metaphysics, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so uh, anyways, I want you to kind of understand metaphysics, and I'll explain 
just the, the idea of it. You don't have to understand all of it to understand this concept. Uh, but metaphysics is really kind of understanding abstract qualities uh, in the world today. Okay, these things are like love, identity, purpose, destiny, these things that science cannot measure. Okay, uh, and so what I want you to understand, I guess the main point, uh, there, there's no way for, I'll use Brittany as an example, there's no way for me to measure the amount of love that Brittany has for me. I know if I could, it would be so much, right, babe? It would be so much. And so what you can do is you can see how she responds to me, how she reacts to me, how she acts around me, and maybe you can think, right, that she loves me, but, but you can never quantify that amount. And so there are things, I want you to understand, even the realm of metaphysics, love, uh, and purpose, and destiny, all of these things, identity, these things lie outside of the realm of science. These are, this is an area that science will never be able to understand, they'll never be able to explain, because it lies outside the realm of science. You can't quantify these things. And so uh, these qualities, just think about this, love and identity and purpose, these are the very qualities that make humans human. Okay, and, and so science will never even be able to explain why you're different than an animal. And I'll tell, I'll tell you the truth, what I believe, I believe that those qualities come from the soul and spirit that God has placed inside of each one of us, and that science will never be able to explain it away because God has placed it there and it's beyond us. Does that make sense? Okay, and so uh, metaphysics, if you really dive into that, science will never be able to explain. Okay, so uh, the, the next thing that I want to look at is carbon dating. Everyone say carbon dating. Push your glasses up on your nose if you have uh, glasses on. Okay, carbon dating. Uh, I'll explain to you this process just a little bit. Uh, this is measuring the amount of uh, carbon-14, which, which is an isotope of carbon, uh, the amount of carbon that's left in uh, just organic matter. And so what we kind of do uh, scientists will measure the amount of carbon that is left in a sample or a fossil or something they find in the ground, and they know the decay rate of the carbon, so they'll multiply these and then estimate uh, the age of the item, okay? So who in here do you know how old they say the earth is? It's, it kind of changes almost every time I ask about it, yeah. I, I Googled it last night. So Google says the earth is like four point something billion years old. Okay, so think about this for just a second. Yeah, it's changing a it's lot. It's changing really bad. I think they're real confused about it. <laughs> okay, so um, they, they say that the earth is four point something billion years old. And so think about this. The way that scientists are dating all of these things, all, all of these fossils, all of this stuff to say that they're billions of years old the um, carbon dating, carbon-14, can only last up to fifty to 60,000 years, not billions of years. They're using carbon dating to date the earth back to four billion years. By their own measurements, they're like defeating them, their self, okay? You can't date, you can't predate carbon-14 past 50, 60,000 years. It doesn't last that long, okay? And so at the oldest measurement of carbon dating, you could say the earth was 50, 60,000 years old, okay? And so what I want you to think about for just a second, uh, when you begin to look at this in a, at, from a biblical worldview and you understand the flood, uh, the flood kind of covering the earth, vegetation, fossils, all of this stuff, like instilling, uh, just covering the earth with water, uh, many scientists believe that this could have skewed the carbon dating process like 
vastly, okay? Because it would have uh, it would have packed the soil, these fossils, the vegetation, all this stuff on the ground with carbon-14. It would have packed them with carbon way more. And so a lot of the scientists actually believe that uh, this could have uh, skewed the dates of the earth that scientists are getting by 10 times, okay? So they would have dated the earth 10 times older than they actually, uh, I guess, than it actually is. Okay, so think about this. If carbon-14 can only date things back to about 50,000 years, you divide that by 10, you get 5,000 years. It fits perfectly inside of a biblical worldview. And it's like, oh. So a lot of this stuff that we're seeing in in science, it's really self-defeating, and there are a lot of holes, and there are a lot of other issues, even in carbon dating, that they use to hold up the scientific worldview that actually kind of collapse on themselves, but I'm going to move on. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is, uh, I don't know where my paper is, there it is, um, is evolution, okay? And so think about this for just a moment. Evolution is based on this fact that the earth is however many billions of years old, based on carbon dating. If there's that many holes in carbon dating, I don't want to put my eggs in a basket that's already crumbling, Okay, does that make sense? But I'll move on. I sat through, it was probably uh, two semesters of just evolutionary biology. And uh, have any of you ever seen the, like, evolution of man and how, like, they evolve from, like, a little monkey-looking guy to, like, all these different stages? There's, like, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo neanderthalus, or something. It's something close to that, I'm telling you. Uh, I don't remember the exact word, but they step up through all of this, and, and so... When I was in science class, they actually kind of led me to believe that they were finding all of these, uh, these stages of humans as fossils, and what they were actually finding is they were finding shards of bone about the size of a quarter, and they would use a computer to generate this, this body and say, oh, this guy, well, his head was uh, a little shaped weird on the side. I'm guessing that this shard of bone was from his side of his head, and, and that meant that he, he was smaller than this guy and didn't have as big as a brain, and he, he actually walked on all fours. And I'm like, you got all that out of a quarter of bone. Like, what? It's crazy, okay? And so I'm telling you, even the, these bases in, in evolutionary biology, these things are large, large guesstimates at best, yeah, and yeah, they never find these fossils. They never find these things in archaeology. It's it's insane. Okay, and so I want I want you to see see that, understand that. I watched tons of videos on that. And then lastly, say we believe everything that the evolutionary scientists sell us. When you go all the way back to the Big Bang, whatever proton, neutron, organic matter, or whatever that was there that started in the Big Bang that created all of us, where did it come from? Something can't come from nothing, right? And so I want you to think about that, that even if you go through all of evolutionary science, when you go back to the beginning, something had to start this. And so they are still even trying to answer that question. And so, uh, I don't know, to me, all of this points to where science does not disprove God, but it more proves his existence. And so I want to encourage you today, I know you're going to be sitting through classes and evolution and all of these things. There are tons of holes, uh, so I definitely want you to understand those. Uh, Y'all have anything to add? I would just say... Why the big push for evolution? Why? Because they have to make up a system where nothing is absolute. Again, because if there is a God, then there means there's just, there's, there are absolutes, and there is a standard, and there is accountability. If you make something up where we just evolve from nothing, then you can do whatever you want to do, basically taking away the consequence for sin. Everything comes back. They have to address sin. 
if you can't address sin, that's the wrong part to even start with. So evolution, the whole backtrack of this is to disprove God. They made up a theory to disprove God so you could get away with living and doing whatever you want to do. It doesn't make sense. And we were reading the other day, they're trying to come up with how the earth was created is because another universe basically spun off and, and had some leftover stuff that created this universe. And you could just keep going back. Who created that one? Who created that one? But the whole fact of the matter is the reason these teachers that are teaching this, and I believe some of them are well-meaning people that maybe just don't know, but there is, like Cole said, an antichrist movement to try to get God out of everything. So let's try to get him out of even the creation. And my favorite is some of our students that come from our leadership camps that go off to college, they'll ask the teachers these questions in their professors. And, that, and really nicely, really respectfully, help, help me understand this. And sometimes they'll say, get with me after class. And they'll ask them all these questions. And finally, the teachers will come to the end. They'll say, I don't know, man. This is what they tell me to teach. You know, that, that, that's what they come to at the end. And so, I, you know, it... They, when you bring up questions, when you actually think it through, when you actually cause people to have to back up what they say, you really get to, there's it's empty behind it. Yeah. And uh, I guess it was several years years ago, I was in school, and, and we had to write a paper, and it was, about, uh, it was about evolution and how, not necessarily to disprove it, but why maybe it's not valid and things like that. And something that's interesting that we found as we were actually researching this is that the father of evolution, uh, Charles Darwin, uh, before he passed away, actually renounced uh, evolution. He's the father of it, and before his deathbed, many people believe that he actually uh, confessed Christ and all this stuff as his Savior. But what's interesting is at the end of his life, he was like, I searched this, I researched this, I gave my life to this, but at the end of my life, it does not make sense. <laughs> it's a little that depressing. That stinks. <laughs> and, 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 and so I just, I feel like we even, we even, preach this thing and, and all of our teachers in high school and junior high we 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 push this thing and it's like really I mean even at the the end of Charles Darwin's life I think he probably would have taken back some of the stuff that that he spent his entire life uh trying to prove when in reality it just proved that there's a God I mean that's that's really what it boiled down to so yeah that's really good uh, I hope y'all are taking this in, and man, it's encouraging you. Uh, I have one more question, and I want this, this is going to be a little more practical, not as like challenging to understand or as deep, uh, but it's something that, man, we get asked all of the time, and so I just want to open it up to our panel for you guys just to respond, uh, but the, the last question of this session is, uh, how do we minister to someone who doesn't believe in God? Uh, I know it's more and more common every day, you know, that we come in contact with atheists, agnostics, and all these things at school where we have friends. H how do we minister to them? How can we share the truth with them? What, what should we do? So, I always believe that you have to have a relationship with people. I think a lot of times we're looking for magical answers to change people's minds. And I don't believe that that's how anybody, that's how, not how I came to the Lord. Someone didn't come have a conversation with me and go, oh, cool, all right. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now that you told me that cool line, that one-liner, now I'm going to follow the Lord. I think, I think it takes time. It takes building relationships with people. And a lot of times, in fact, I know one of the greatest atheists, uh, Josh McDowell. Y'all know Josh McDowell? He was a huge atheist in college, and he got saved and actually is one of the biggest apologists of our day. And he talked about how it was because he, he ran into a group of real Christians who showed him love 
and was willing to have conversations with him, but love him through it. And they actually brought him into their group and, and, and bought him pizza and hung out with him. And it was over a year. And they challenged him, and he challenged them, and, and they actually challenged him to disprove God. And that's how Josh McDowell got saved, was he was disproving God to a group of Christians. But he said the thing about them was they didn't have to get high and smashed, because that's what Josh did every day because he was depressed, was he got high and smashed in college all the time to try and deal with his hurt. And he said, for the first time, I found a group of Christians who didn't have to, they were having just as much fun as I was, but they remembered the fun they had the night before. And so I think from the mouth of an atheist, he talked about how he came to the Lord. It was over time a relationship where people who were real, not hypocrites, not people who said one thing and did another, but they were real, and they challenged him. And over time, they had real conversations, and they connected with him. And over time, just like anybody, you know, when life isn't working, because without Jesus, life doesn't work, and that's what we have to remember. Over time, I was talking to a friend of mine, how do we help someone addicted to drugs? He said, in time, no one stays on drugs a long time because drugs is not a lifestyle, it's a moment. And he said, over time, they're going to hate it and they're going to need something beyond where they're living. And so I believe it's, it's just like it always is with anything, is it's creating relationship with people over time and them see real Christianity in our lives and not being hypocrites, and it's going to build relationships that lead them to Christ. And you have, you have great, healthy you know, dialogue with them. Yeah, I would just add that that's great. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that we're giving you today is good, you know, kind of evidence. Uh, but again, our arguments, our Facebook arguments are not going to win people to God. You know what I mean? At most, it can create a thought inside someone, but nobody comes to Christ unless the Holy Spirit woos them. And so how, how can we get someone, number one, we can pray for them, we can believe, you know, and, but it's going to be God. Every single person, I believe, God is going to reach out to them. There's going to be a part of brokenness. There's going to be a part of just hurt. And God's spirit is going to come to them. The Bible says it's the wooing of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is going to woo. And then it's that person's decision. Am I going to follow this? Am I going to accept it? Am I going to make Jesus the Lord of my life? Or am I going to reject it? And sometimes people have a lot of opportunities to do that. Sometimes they don't. But I would say as Christians, the best thing that we can do is really, like David said, really live the life for Christ. Because there's a difference between just knowing about God and I'm going to live it. Because you can't fake peace. You can't fake joy. You can't fake a changed life. When God really changes something on the inside, when that person comes to brokenness and hurt and pain, they're going to reach out to someone who has the answer. And the Holy Spirit can work through us in that, in that facet. Uh, there, there, there was a couple things that I was thinking. One, just to piggyback on that, I mean, there, there's nothing that speaks louder than, like, your testimony and how God did something in you. And, uh, and I know for me, if, if somebody wants to argue, it's like, man, you can argue all day, but you can't argue, like, man, my, I'm a different person, you know. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm completely different. Uh, but one thing that, uh, that I wanted to, to go back to, this, this kind of this whole purpose, even and even this panel, we, this is kind of called apologetics, and that's kind of like a Christian word. And, and if you don't know what that means, um, whenever I took a class in apologetics, the, the whole purpose is uh, defense with purpose. Okay, because it's not just defense, it's not just argument, but there's purpose in apologetics. Because if the whole thought is, I'm going to prove my point on Facebook, or I'm going to win the conversation, then just don't, you know, like just don't. But if at the end of the day, you're like, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend my faith in, in, a, in a real way with the purpose of reaching that person that I'm having this conversation with. 
uh, because there's a lot of people that you go to school with right now who are atheist or believe weird stuff, and, and it's like, yeah, winning them is not you you winning a conversation in front of people at school, but actually caring for them and doing life with them and, and, and having a relationship. And um, I know that even referring back to the life of Jesus, you know, Jesus walked on, uh, walked on the earth for 33 years. About three and a half of those years, the disciples were with him, and they saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And right before the crucifixion, they still really didn't know who Jesus was. And so most scholars believe that these, uh, these disciples literally walked with Jesus for over three years and still didn't believe, still weren't saved and didn't know who Jesus was, but weren't really saved until after his resurrection. And so if Jesus walked with people for three years on earth before they actually believed in who he was, I feel like that's the model for us today. Because sometimes as Christians, we go and it's like they don't believe like I believe, so they're out of the friend group. When God's saying, let them be a part, let them belong, and when they belong, they'll begin to believe. And whenever they begin to believe, um, they'll begin to become what God's called them to become. And, and I want to challenge everyone in here because we all know people that aren't saved. We all know people that don't go to church. We all know people that don't know anything about the Bible. And just because they don't, don't like block them out or not spend time with them. Bring those people to your, your table and have dinner. You know, eat with them at lunch, whatever the case may be for you. But reach out to those people. And man, sometimes it takes a while. It took Jesus three years. You know what I mean? So just... Just have relationship with people, and uh, it, it changes everything. It really does. Man, yeah, that's really good. Did y'all enjoy the, the session today? Man, I hope uh, it gives you a, a definitely a greater understanding of these issues. And there are a lot of other questions and things, you know, that we could have talked about. But I feel like these five were really, really common at the top of the list. And so uh, what we're going to do, just real quick, we are going to dismiss. If you want to go to the bathroom, grab a drink, you just want to walk around and kind of wake up for a second. Uh, and so here in about 10 minutes, we're going to get our last session of the day started. And uh, David Pate's going to uh, finish us off here in a few. Uh, but I'm going to roll out some snacks and stuff in the foyer here in a second so you can grab some chips and a drink or something. And, uh, and then we'll be finished up probably around 12 o'clock, all right? So if you want to text your, your folks and all that. But uh, go to the bathroom, and we'll uh, meet back in here in about 10 minutes.